Good morning. How are you today? Nice to see you live and in person and all of you joining us online. Hello. I can't see you, but I know you're there. We walk by faith, not by sight. So uh, we're just happy to be together today. And if you have a Bible, everyone, wherever you are, let's go grab those and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We've been in this uh, series as a church studying this book. This is the early history of the Christian church written by a medical doctor of the first century, a guy named Luke. And uh, if you've been with us, uh, you've been following the, the action, man, there's so much action and adventure going on. It's really quite fun. It's quite amazing. Last weekend, we were looking at the launching of the Apostle Paul. Remember Paul? He's, uh, he's, he's not a Christian when this whole thing starts out. He meets Jesus. He's a radical transformation. And now he's working for the Lord. He's doing a lot of missions and outreach to, uh, to the lost, to people who don't know Jesus. Uh, the, the purpose of, uh, of what we're doing right now in terms of Acts 16 is they're about ready to, to go on a new trip, a, a second missionary journey. They, they had already done one of these. If you were with us in Acts chapter 13 and 14, we saw the first missionary journey. They started a bunch of churches. The second trip is all about visiting the churches they started. It's like, hey guys, let's go back and visit all those Christians that that uh, popped up on us in all of our preaching, and let's pour into them, and let's, let's disciple them. So they're going on this second journey, and it doesn't start off that great, if you were with us last week, because when they're preparing, Paul and Barnabas, his ministry partner, they kind of had a disagreement. We, we looked at this last week, and they, they didn't see eye to eye on something, and so they kind of split into two teams. And they, and they took the itinerary and they kind of said, Barnabas, you take this part of the itinerary, which was the island of Cyprus. Go visit all those churches, which is where Barnabas was from. So he takes his little cousin, John Mark, and they go there. And then Paul takes uh, his buddy named Silas and they go up into northern, uh, the, like the northern route into southern Turkey and they visit all the churches that are there. And so that's essentially where we, um, where we uh, left off. Um, Luke actually doesn't tell us anything about Barnabas and John Mark's side of the journey. He only follows uh, Paul and Silas, and we're going to see about that in a second. So on your handout, I want to just give you a brief overview of this trip because we're going to study it for uh, six or eight months or so. No, just kidding. <laughs> we're going to study it for a few weeks. This trip lasts about three years. This is a three-year trip, two, to, two and a half to three years. It's going to take Paul and Silas, this long to come back around to the starting point. About a year and a half of that, they spend in one town called Corinth. We're, we'll look at that in a little bit. They cover around 3,000 miles, most of it by walking, over half of it by walking. I've got a little map on your, on your uh, handout. You can take out those message notes, by the way, or you can look at this slide. This is kind of the route. They start in Antioch, which is on the right there, which is a city in what is now modern-day southern Turkey, and then they kind of go around the horn there. You can see this big loop they make. That takes about three years, 3,000 miles. Uh, and so lots of adventure now, lots of excitement. Most of it, this is kind of an interesting thing. Big picture item about this trip. Most of it was unplanned. Most of it was unknown. Meaning they had an itinerary and the itinerary was kind of started out like, okay, this is going as planned. And then some things hit and it quickly went into un unknown territory. They set out well, but they had to deal with a lot of curveballs. And that, those curveballs and closed doors and plan Bs and plan Cs, 
They, they just like reacted to that all along the way. And I think that's really important. All right, let's talk about that for just a second because the impression that many of us have with the apostles, I mean, this is Paul, right? He wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. This dude heard from God. This guy could really, he could really discern God's will, right? And yet Paul here in these passages, man, he didn't know what was going on. I mean, he, he started out thinking, I know what God wants us to do. And then, and then, you know, it didn't happen. And so I think a lot of us have this impression that we're, we're kind of loserly Christians. You know, we're loserly in ours because we, we, we can't hear like they heard. We can't hear like the Bible hear, heroes heard. And it turns out that they couldn't hear God that well either. So boy, that gives me a lot of hope. I'm not such a loser after all. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not such a loser after all. <laughs> oh, what good news. What good news. All right, so let's keep that in mind. And let's dig into it now. Let's go to verse 1 in chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Verse four, and as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them, they delivered to the churches, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. All right, let's pause there. Uh, part, this is the part of the trip that was the planned part, all right? So they start off in, in, in Antioch, and they go north, and then they go hard left, the hard west, into the Galatian region, the Roman province of Galatia, which is where they were before, and they were visiting each town. Now, they hit Derby and Lystra. You remember, if you were with us, those were towns that were tough towns for Paul. Paul, on the first trip, he was stoned to death in the city of Lystra. Not like smoking doobage debt to death. He was hit a rock to death. Ish. All right? Ish. He, he died. Eh, we don't know. Maybe he died. Maybe he didn't. But that, that was a tough town. And here Paul is revisiting this place. So, um, so, so you can kind of imagine maybe some of the emotion. But he was fearlessly following Jesus. Uh, so despite the difficulty of Lystra and Derby and Iconium, these towns, this region, one of the cool things that pops up is there's a kid in one of the churches, a young man named Timothy, and he's an important person in our Bible. He lives in, in Lystra. He lives in, in Lystra, Iconium area. He goes to church. He's a believer. His mom is a believer. His grandmother is a believer. His mom, elsewhere we learn his name. Does anybody know Timothy's mom's name? Lois. Lois, that's right. You get a free donut. Uh, it's under your chair. It's not. And then his grandmother was named, anybody know Timothy's? Eunice, right? Lois and Eunice, they're believers. Timothy's daddy, we don't think, was a believer. Uh, his, he, was, he was Greek. His, his father was Greek or Gentile. His mother was Jewish. So he came from a, a, like a, myth, a mixed ethnic home. 
uh, interesting background, but he's so faithful. He's a good kid. He's like, he's like that kid in the youth group who like runs all the meetings and, and he's just like a really strong believer. And Paul, Paul likes him and Paul invites Timothy to, to, to be on the team for the rest of the trip. This is kind of a big deal. Can you imagine being Lois and, you know, the mom? Anybody, anybody have a kid who's a mom? And you're like, man, my, my, my boy, it, it's like, it's like a, 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 my boy is gone. I'm an empty nester. Uh, and who's this guy, Paul, by the way? And you're just like, wow. And God's in this, though. God's in this whole process. These people are amazing. Uh, so Timothy would become one of Paul's closest relationships over the years. Paul would refer to him in his writings, Paul's writings, as his son in the Lord. Timothy is my son in the Lord. Three times he says this about Timothy. There's only two other people Paul said that about, Titus and Onesimus. Uh, Timothy is in a rare sort of uh, position, a rare relationship with Paul. Paul took him under his wing and mentored him for, we think, about 20 years. Timothy then served his heart out in ministry. He planted churches. He, 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 he helped write scripture. He preached. He evangelized. He pastored. Uh, later on, when Timothy was older, Paul would install Timothy as the lead pastor in the Ephesian church, the great church at Ephesus. And we're going to learn about uh, how they planted that church in a few weeks. Timothy, though, is a sterling example of what can happen in young people's lives in a church context. Uh, he's a great, great young leader in the Bible. And Timothy's story motivates us here at Redeemers to do ministry in such a way that we are pouring in and investing in our young people. If you're a young person in here, if you're in middle school, you're in high school, you're in fifth grade, you're in fourth grade, you're in sixth grade, and you're a, you're a young adult, we, we want to pour into you the gospel and what it means to follow Jesus. And the reason why we're doing this is because, number one, we're commanded to we're commanded to reach the next generations, but we want to. We see, we see how God uses young people to make an incredible impact in life, in a church, in, in all of these ministries. And so this, this gets this, this, like, this is like gas on the fire, man. We, we want you in the church. We want you in here loving Jesus, learning what it means to follow him. And we're going to pour into you. 18 times, 18 times in Paul's New Testament letters, he mentions Timothy. In six of Paul's letters, six out of 13, six out of the 13 that Paul wrote, he says, Timothy helped co-write this. That's insane. Can you imagine? You're like, oh yeah, we're going to meet Timothy up in heaven. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it works, but I'm excited to meet these folks. And, uh, and I'm going to be like, man, you, you helped write like, you helped write like six of the, of the letters in the New Testament, man. And I mean, I don't know how it goes, but it's like, yeah, maybe I wrote most of them. I don't know. I don't, I'm sure Paul did, but I mean, they did it together. They did it together. Now, there's a bit here that needs explaining. Part of what Paul is doing is they're sharing the Jerusalem council letter. And if you're brand new to us, you're, you don't even know what this is. So if this is like your first week, but what we covered in Acts 15 is this council where all of the church leaders met, the apostles, and they met to discuss a theological concern. And the concern was, 
do, do Gentile believers, do non-Jewish Christians have to become Jewish in order to fully serve Jesus? So the question at its heart is, what is the gospel? How is a person saved? Is a person saved by grace through faith, by grace through faith, or is a person saved by grace through faith and following a bunch of laws in Judaism? And the council meets and they debate this out and they decide, no, the gospel is by faith through grace, by grace through faith. The gospel is faith in Jesus and the work of the cross. It's not adding on bits and pieces of human effort. Praise God. So they wrote out, they wrote out like a, like here's the decision letter. And Paul is in part of what he's doing. He's going around to the churches and he's letting them know what the decision is. And so he's reading this letter. He's ministering to them. He's saying, guys, especially the men in the church, the Gentile men, y'all can relax. You don't need to be circumcised as an adult. And to which all the men said, to which all the men said, can we get like a deep amen? One, two, three. Amen. Thank you. Good job. All right, so that's, that's what's going on. But then it's a bit confusing because read verse three again. Look at verse three. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew his father was a Greek. What's going on? You just wrote the Jerusalem council decision and you delivered the decision about you don't need to be circumcised and then you're taking this kid and you then you go circumcise him. And so is Paul sending a mixed message? What's going on here? Let's look at this because it's important we pay attention. Luke, Luke solves this dilemma for us. The author Luke. All right, here's what's going on. Remember what we said. Paul's strategy in every city was to start his mission, his preaching where? In the Jewish synagogues. That's where he started. He was himself a rabbi. He was invited to come and guest speak in these places. And in doing so, he would preach the gospel through the Old Testament texts. And so this is where the ministry started in each of these cities. In order for Timothy to accompany Paul into these places, he had to be circumcised. So, so Timothy would not be allowed access into the synagogue as a man of Jewish heritage. His mama was Jewish and also being uncircumcised. So the question is that we had in study team about this was, well, how did the people at the synagogue tell that, you know, if a guy was circumcised or not? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know all the answers. We can ask, we can ask AJ that when he's here in a couple weeks, okay? The uh, professor AJ. But they just knew, all right? So Here's the thing. Paul wanted Timothy to be in the room. He wanted him to be a part of the ministry. And so in order to do that, he had to circumcise, have Timothy circumcised. So the reason this happened is to remove an obstacle for missions. This is what Luke means when he says, because of the Jews in those places. This was a roadblock to ministry and to outreach and Paul and Timothy agreed together that it would be worth removing this obstacle from the equation. It was done out of missiological concerns, not theological concerns. Big difference. So in your handout, Tim did what he did to remove an obstacle in outreach. And what this does then is establishes a principle in Christian outreach that we use today. If we want to win someone to Christ... There's going to be obstacles there. And if we can overcome those obstacles, then we will. Then we do. 
obstacles like customs and traditions and societal norms, we want to be able to leap over those or to sidestep those so that we don't offend someone such that they can't hear the gospel because they're too worked up that we broke a tradition or we made a boo-boo. We, made a, 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 we, we did something wrong socially so they can't hear us. Just think about if, if Paul wanted to bring Timothy into the synagogue without doing this, this would have offended every Jewish person in the house and they would have never heard about Jesus. And so it was worth it was worth the discomfort. And even it was worth even people misinterpreting this, right? This isn't theological. This is missiological. It was worth it so that those, those folks could hear the gospel. It, we have lots of these. I'll give you one in Switzerland. Um, there's levels of greetings based on the relationship. So you got to know where you are relationally with someone, and that's how you greet them in Switzerland. For example, if your family, at my last family re- reunion in the village of Meidingen in Canton, Bern, it took forever. It took like an hour just to greet everybody because when you greet someone as family, you kiss them three times on the cheek. It's left, right, it's mwah, mwah, mwah. I didn't know this. I'm just like, wow, this takes a long time. How about we just say hi, everybody? Like, hey, nice to meet you. But no, no, it's part of the thing. Now, now if you're like, if you don't know a person and that well and you do the like that's like a big offense. Like, no, 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 what are you doing, you weirdo? Like, no, don't. Right? And so you can you can offend someone such that they don't want to talk to you if you kind of break a social rule. And so this is what we do. We learn the social rules. And we make accommodation for them in our outreach because it's, it's worth it for someone to not be offended by these ancillary issues if they'll hear about the gospel, right? And so this is what Paul and Timothy are doing. All cultures have this type of greeting levels, by the way. Uh, in Mexico, when I was with a missionary once, a buddy of mine up in the mountains, way up in the mountains outside of Mexico City uh, in the villages, it was it, when you greeted people, you, you couldn't look them in the eye. You were not supposed to look them in the eye because if you looked a man in the eye in these villages, it was a threat, like you wanted to fight him. And if you looked a female in the eye, that was a sexual overture. And so you had to, like, as, you know, I was taught, like, good old American, you know, farm boy in McMinnville, when you meet someone, you shake their hand, firm handshake, and you do, you know, you got to get in there, you got to get in there with it, you know, don't you hate it when someone closes it off too soon and it just feels, just get in there and you look them in the eye, nice to meet you, sir, nice to meet you, ma'am, right? Yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and you look them in the eye. Well, you can't do that in every context because of the, the offense it may cause. So, so this is, this is an outreach principle. Paul would kind of um, elaborate on this later, this principle. He would say in a very famous passage in 1 Corinthians 9, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more to them. Here it is. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Christians care more about a person hearing the gospel than they do these other things. This is that principle initially played out. All right, everybody got that? All right, let's keep going. There's there's more to this. All right, 
Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they had attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, this is where the curveball starts showing up. This is where we venture into the unknown. So here's the geography. You can look at your map. Like Luke says, they were working their way through Galatia from east to west. Again, these were churches they had already visited. When they kind of come to the end of that line, they're sort of in central Turkey, and they attempt to head south into Asia. All right, let me explain that. This isn't Asia like the continent of Asia. That term in first century Roman context meant a small Roman province in southern Turkey. This was like a county, if you will. Um, uh, this was like a uh, like a, a, an official Roman governing area, and they just called it Asia. Okay, everybody got that? So they tried to go south into this Roman province called Asia, and it says that the Holy Spirit forbade them to go. They wanted to preach the gospel there, but the Holy Spirit said no. It doesn't say how the Holy Spirit communicated no to them. We just don't have that, that biblical data. So the commentators kind of try to guess uh, we just offer some guesses. This is guesswork, but some, one of the guesses is, well, they prayed about it and they didn't have peace in their hearts about it. And so they didn't go to the South. Okay. That could have been it. Another guess. Some of the commentators offer up, like maybe Paul got sick. We know Paul got sick in Galatia. He says this in another one of his letters, the book of Galatians, specifically that he had an eye disease. Maybe Paul was was struggling with that, and that somehow prevented him from going south. We just, we just don't know. Maybe the road was closed. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe the bridge was out. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that the Holy Spirit said no. Okay, fine. So there they go. Now they're pushing westward along this straight line, and it says they attempt to go north into another Roman province called Bithynia. Bithynia is located, if you know your geography, if you know where modern-day Istanbul is on the Black Sea, this is be like the north side of Turkey, the south shore of the Black Sea. That's Bithynia. There was tons of villages and towns up there that had never heard the gospel, so they wanted to go north and preach the gospel up there. And again, it says the Holy Spirit said no. The, the Holy Spirit they wanted to preach the gospel, but they hit another closed door. The way is shut. The way is shut. Turn to your neighbor and say, the way is shut. We don't know how. No, no detail as to how the Spirit communicated that. So they wanted to go south. That was a, a closed door. They wanted to go north. That was a closed door. It wasn't because of lack of effort. It said they tried to go to Bithynia. So by now, I think Paul and, and Silas and now Timothy are learning something about God's will. 
Here's what they're learning. Closed doors are good. Closed doors are good. Turn to your neighbor and say, closed doors are good. Some of you are going to say it sheepishly. (laughs) Closed doors are good. They are. Now, they don't feel good. All right? I didn't say that, and neither did you. Uh, It can be frustrating to hit a closed door. Have you ever hit a closed door, like a door you thought you wanted to walk through in your life, and and it was shut? I mean, just lots lots of examples, like, I don't know, maybe you, you had a you had a, a bunch of applications into jobs and you thought one was going to be an open door and it didn't. Or, or, or maybe a house that you, you put an offer in to buy and that didn't happen. You really thought it was going to be it, right? Or, or maybe if you're, if you're single, like this person you want to date and you're like kind of crushing on them and then they announce on their socials that they're engaged to somebody else and you're like, wow, where was I? You know, what was I doing? I'm unaware, right? You just like it's a closed door. They don't feel good. You get disappointed. You know, I thought I was supposed to go this direction and then that thing just shut off. And man, I'm frustrated now, right? And, and, and the feeling is disappointment, of course, because there was a part of your heart that was already there with that house or with that job or so forth. But then there's also a frustration about, well, now what am I supposed to do? I mean, I had, this was where it was headed. And that way is shut. And so there's a, there's a frustration on that side. Closed doors are frustrating. But here's why they're good. Ah, yes. The telephone will tell us. I, I, I know I'm, I embarrass people with this. I don't mean to embarrass you. I'm just... I'm just... I'm just playing <laughs> in front of 500 people. Okay, so they're good. Closed doors are good because now you're closer to understanding what God's will really is because now you've ruled out something that isn't what God had for you. Here, here's, here's what it is on your handout. God's will is this perfect mixture of God's knows and God's goes. God's knows and God's goes are his will. It's a blend. It's a blend. A no is the closed door. A no is the way is shut. God speaks his will through closed doors just as much as he speaks through open doors. And sometimes, quite frankly, the only way we can determine what God's will is for our lives is when the Lord shuts a door on us. And that's, that's okay, That's okay, right? It's in the Bible. We thought north was an option. No, we thought south was an option. We even, there's a need in these places. Oh my goodness, there's need there. Well, need doesn't determine God's will. His will is his will, and it's his sovereign, perfect mind that constructs it for us. So so when you hit a closed door, Okay, you're going to hit one. Maybe you're in the middle of hitting one right now, or you just hit one, and you're just like, your bell's ringing a little bit. Just remember this. It's good. This is good. God is speaking to you. God is speaking to you because you're narrowing it down. Now, here's another thing about a closed door. When you, when you not if, when you get a closed door, don't try and pry it open, friends. Don't. That's called spiritual breaking and entering, okay? Um, <laughs> It's let the closed doors remain closed. Don't force it. Don't force stuff. 
you will get your go. God is faithful. He will give you your go. You just have to be patient and wait for it. Okay, so Paul's company makes their way westward. They've got some closed doors. And then they, they go all the way west until they hit the, the shore. They can't go any further. They hit a town called Troas. Troas is, is a town in the, a port town in the first century Roman world. It's, it's, there's nothing there now but a few ruins. Um, so, but they're in the very busy port city and they're just chilling. They're hanging out. They don't know what to do. They're just waiting. They're waiting. Two things happen in Troas, we read. One is Paul gets a vision from God, a supernatural vision. It comes to Paul at night, so maybe it was while he was asleep. But the vision is this guy from Macedonia comes to Paul and says, come to Macedonia, we need help. And, and, and so then Paul wakes up and he talks to the team about it and they conclude the next day that the Lord is calling them to go to Macedonia. They're supposed to get in a boat and go across the Aegean Sea into Macedonia. That's, the, that's amazing. They, they got their go. And then the second thing happens is they meet Dr. Luke somehow and Dr. Luke joins their team. Up until now, Dr. Luke is giving us this history as, as a third person. But here in verse 10, look at this verse. Just look at it real quick. It, it, it says immediately, it's we sought to go on into Macedonia. So so this is fascinating that Luke doesn't tell us anything about how this went down. Like, man, what happened here? We, we, we. And then Luke says we pretty much from here on out. He's now part of Paul's traveling company. And, and so we don't have the biblical data. Again, commentators like, okay, well, how did this happen? So here's one theory. This is theory, all right? One theory is, is that we think maybe Luke and Paul knew each other from before. And the theory on this is Luke was in medical school. There was two medical schools in the Roman Empire, one in Alexandria and one in Tarsus. And we think that possibly Luke went to medical school in Tarsus and Paul was from Tarsus. He spent a lot of time there. Maybe they bumped into each other and they became friends. Maybe that's what happened. And now, fast forward years later, Paul's in Troas bumping around and Luke's there. And they, and, they, and they connect with each other again, possibly. And pretty soon, Paul leads Luke to the Lord. And now Luke is on his team. And now Paul is smart. He's got a doctor traveling with him. And it's always good to have a doctor around. I mean, there's a few in here, I think. And we love you guys and gals. Okay, we're glad that you're here. So now we've got, that's a theory. He's on the team. Four now. Who's on the team? Paul and Silas and who else? Have you not been paying attention? Okay, Timothy. Have I not explained it that well? And then who's the fourth? Luke. By the way, this team of four is responsible for writing most of the New Testament. That's a pretty cool team. That would be a fun team to be on. All right, let's look at one more section here in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, they crossed the Aegean Sea, we, we made a direct voyage to Samanthrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in Philippi in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, they went to River Forks Park where <laughs> we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. 
One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's talk about this. We said earlier that Paul tends to go to the synagogue first when he's in a new city. He doesn't go to the synagogue in Philippi. Why? Because there isn't a synagogue there. Jewish law stated that a synagogue must be built when there are 10 Jewish men in a town and their families. And so you had to build a synagogue. If there were less than 10 then you, you, didn't have, you didn't have the Jews to pull it together, so you didn't have a synagogue. And this is the case in Philippi. So he doesn't go into a synagogue. He goes to the river. Now, what's going on there? Let me explain. Let's go back to the synagogue. Synagogues had, when you did build one in a synagogue, you would have basically like, like a, a water bath built into the synagogue that was used for ceremonial cleansing rituals. This bath or baptismal was called a mikvah, a mikvah. This was standard standard operating procedure in a synagogue. And the mikvah, the mikvah was where the, 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 the leaders of the synagogue would come in and wash themselves ceremonially before they would do ministry. The thing about the mikvah is it, it couldn't just be like a tub of water. It had to have water flow. There had to be an inlet and an outlet, even if it was just a little bit, so that the water could itself become cleansed over time. And the Jews called this, this water running, they called it living water. They called it living water or running water. Now, in a situation where there wasn't a synagogue, oftentimes the families that were there, the few, they would want to meet still. And Jewish law made provision for that. You could still meet, but they oftentimes would choose a place to meet where there was living water or running water, which would have been a river or a creek. And this is why when Luke talks about what happened, it says that Paul went to the river outside the gate of Philippi, supposing it to be a place of prayer. Paul figured that there wasn't a synagogue, but on Sabbath day, if there were some Jews around, they would be meeting down here by the river because living water and cleansing rituals. And lo and behold, Paul was right. There were Jewish people down there meeting. And so we meet a woman amongst this small group named Lydia. Lydia is actually a Gentile who's converted over into into Judaism. She was a God-fearing, God-worshiping woman. Lydia, Luke tells us, is not from Philippi. She's from another town called Thyatira. And it says that Lydia, what did she do? She had a a job. What What does it say that her job was? selling purple stuff. So she provided clothing for Barney and... (laughs) It's a terrible joke. Welch's grape stuff. No, okay. So she dealt in purple fabrics and dyes. 
She's from Thyatira. Thyatira is another city in the Roman Empire. And Thyatira is known for, or was known for its production of purple dye. It was a coastal town, and there was a particular kind of snail that lived off of the coast of Thyatira. These snails had these big shells, and they would creep along the bottom of the ocean, and the divers from Thyatira would go down and pick up these snails, and then they would take the, the, the shell, and they would crush it, And from the crushed parts of the shell, they could produce a rare purple dye. It was really expensive. And so they they made clothing and fabrics, and they dyed stuff, and then they sold this stuff for bank. I mean, this was like high-end stuff. Like, what's a high-end clothing company? I don't know. I dress at Costco, so (laughs) I... I don't even know. No one here knows either because we don't have any nice stores. So that's awesome. <laughs> it's all good. No, we have nice stores. We have Walmart and stuff. So we're good. <laughs> so this is high-end stuff, which is why in, like, in the videos and stuff, whenever they show Roman royalty and they're always dressed in purple, purple sashes and things... That's why. It's because they bought all the stuff from Thyatira because it was Big Bank Hank. It showed you you were wealthy. Now, the the business people who dealt in this were also very wealthy because it was like, well, you could sell Hyundais or you could sell Lamborghinis. Like, and so you're, you're, when you're selling Lambos, man, you're also rolling pretty, you know, pretty good, right? And so that's, this is Lydia. She's probably got family back in Thyatira. She's got a trade and she's selling local purple stuff in, in Philippi. And she's also a Jewish convert. And she's at the river. And, and, she's, and she's listening to Paul. And she comes to Christ. Paul preaches and she gets saved. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. And then her whole household gets saved. And then she says, come and stay with me. Meaning she's probably got a pretty big house. And she's got a little means and she can host this team. And so here's what's so great about Lydia, beyond what I've already told you, is that when Lydia asks Paul and the team to come and stay in her house, we read later that she goes on to host and help lead the church in Philippi in her home. The church meets in her home. And therefore, Lydia offers us another first from the book of Acts. And that is she helps start the first church in Europe. Right here in Philippi, this is essentially northern Greece in the most unlikeliest of places. The first church in the continent of Europe is started in a lady called Lydia's home. And we look at this and we marvel because from this initial conversation, a church is born and later tens of millions hundreds of millions of Europeans over the ages would come to know Jesus. And it starts right here. And I think that is pretty cool. 